All right, Pots and Popcorn podcast episode number three about to come at you. Uh, just the usual note that this will have be being a movie podcast. It's talking everything about the movie that we're about to get into. So uh, if you haven't seen Rushmore, then we recommend pausing the pod, coming back to it, definitely, but pausing and watching the film beforehand if you don't want it spoiled for you. Um, otherwise, let's go. I saved Latin. What'd you ever do? I started a movie podcast with you, Shay. These are the names that define our world. The artists who shaped our minds. The rebels who challenged our views. But of all these legends, there is one that stands above all others. I'm sorry, did someone say my name? <laughs> What's the secret, Max? The secret? I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. We're putting you on what we call sudden death academic probation. Could I see some documentation on that, please? Did you invite that kid to your party? Max Fisher. Come on, Dad, there's gonna be girls there. I'd rather die. Pull your head out of your... Maybe I'm spending too much of my time starting up clubs and putting on plays. It's time, homie. Kiss me, little one. I should probably be trying harder to score chicks. I like your hat. You're a teacher here, aren't you? Oh, I'm so glad you could come. I want you to meet a friend of mine, Peter Flynn, Max Fisher. Hi. Who's this guy? Has it ever crossed your mind that you're far too young for me? I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? <laughs> I don't know what you see in her. I, I don't think she's right for you. What's that supposed to be? Hello, Herman. How are you, Rosemary? I know about you and the teacher. Does Max know? He's about five foot three, 112 pounds, glasses. You know, you and Herman deserve each other. You're both little children. War does funny things to men. You'll find a pair of safety glasses and some earplugs underneath your seats. Please feel free to use them. What do you think of Max's latest opus? It's good. But let's hope it's got a happy ending. Rushmore. Thank you very much. All right, Pints of Popcorn back with you for another week. Uh, decided we, we realized our first two movies, we both did 2019 films. So we gave ourselves a little mission this this week that we were going to do one that was pre-2000. Um, that was the only condition. It was any anything beyond that was... I was trying to think of ones that are thematically different. And I realized Shay being uh, Wes Anderson's number one fan, it made it only made sense to dive back into Wes Anderson's early filmography. And we settled on Rushmore, the 1998 Wes Anderson film with... Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray and co. And um, Shay was very excited. Absolutely. I uh, actually watched this the first time um, on VHS with my father in 1999 or 1998. Well, whenever it was on film, I don't mm -hmm. remember the exact year, obviously, but <laughs> I did not like it when I was 10 years old. Obviously, <laughs> because there are bigger themes going on. Um, you know, my dad told me it was a comedy. And uh, that was not what a comedy 
was to me at that time, comedy was Adam Sandler, which, you know, at that time, Adam Sandler was still making great movies. But uh, <laughs> now that, you know, now that I'm older and much wiser, uh, it, I do find this to be a great comedy. Yeah. And I think I, I said the same to you that Wes Anderson, some, someone I've been going back to recently, because even that the age of 20, I was a, I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> we all were. Yeah. We and, all were. And, and this movie shows that, I mean, a little bit younger, but yeah. You know, we'll get into it, but you know, what was Max Fisher like at twenty? Yeah, <laughs> probably after everything he went through, maybe a bit better than me still. I was just, I just didn't. I think I just, uh, I knew, like, I, you know, relationships and stuff was something that I, I dealt with already, obviously by the age of twenty. But I didn't think about them that I wasn't probably didn't think about life deep and deeply enough to understand the nuances of what Rushmore is, um, and understand it's a movie about growth and whatnot. And I was just not ready to do. Go it's through a lot of things. Go yeah. through any of that, yeah, uh, any of that growth or self-reflection that you know a movie like that asks you to do, because that's a lot of it is looking inside yourself and realizing the humor of it is partly like our fault as human beings is where the humor come from. And some of the, you know, a lot of comedic writers say you can't write comedy without pain because that's where the humor comes from. Um, and I think that's where Rushmore, so much of its heart is in that pain and finding a a dry, wonderful humor in that. And yeah, that's why I've found myself appreciating his films so much more in recent years because now I'm not saying like, you know, and we'll get into it because Rushmore does show that growth is not a finite thing. We're always growing because the two characters Absolutely, uh, yeah. really define that. But uh, at this stage of life, I certainly I've found myself, I've watched it twice in the last couple of days as we're preparing to do this and I'm really finding myself loving it more and more. Um, as I, as, you know, last night I rewatched it again and loved it more than I did the two days before when I first watched it after not having seen it for a few years. It is just a, you know, kind of a refreshing reminder of how fragile we all really are, no matter the age and um, what somebody can do to you. Like, And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I mean, how, how much someone can affect you um, overall even at 15, especially at 15, actually, but even at, I don't know, we don't know Bloom's age in this, but uh, you would have to assume late 40s, early 50s. That's where I'm um, going with, yeah. You know, um, as the child, as a child of divorce, you know, um, meeting several of my dad's girlfriends over the years, you know, like, <laughs> it, it's not untrue to life that some, like a, a man of that age can fall that hard for somebody. So mm. I think... What a lot of people miss on this movie, uh, because I did go to IMDb to read the user reviews and ratings, and uh, there are a lot of one out of tens out there. But um, I think those people don't, kind of like we were talking about before we started um, the line from Life Aquatics, like, well, I just don't think they really got it. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and I, you know, I think you have to like live in an examined life to both understand this movie but more so understand you know and be able to laugh at yourself when you're younger i mm. think um i think the people who really hate this movie aren't okay with either being that person when they were younger or maybe they had picked on that person when they were younger so i think that would be the the my argument to the detractors is well maybe like expand outside and try to put yourself in those shoes yeah so there are the bucking although uh, max <laughs> <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and they're exactly. not, and they're not, and they're <laughs> yeah. not ready. They're not ready to accept it yet. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's and where, that's life. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what I probably my first watch the other day. I found myself like, uh, we'll get to um, Bill Murray's Bloom 
in a bit. But my first watch, I was really Max was the one that really caught my eye watching it that first time because it was like I was thinking about myself in that situation as a high school kid, as a high school kid that was not. I was I, when I put my mind to academics, I was pretty good with it. Like like I, I can figure things out, and obviously, like when I went to college later, I figured out all all that stuff. But in, in high school, I just I was so whimsical about other things I wanted to do, writing, um, you know, whatever grand plans I had for myself at the time. I thought I was going to achieve them, so I just pick up a book and read about that instead of doing the schoolwork I needed to do to make maybe that process easier and. I wasn't starting a million clubs. I was a lot more introverted in that sense. But um, I, I saw most, a lot of the, uh, you know, the the idea that school was somewhat beneath me in that sense. Not that I, I really actually consciously thought it, but I see, you know, Max is so much, he feels Rushmore as a means to an end, but it's also his, his thing that he wants to do for the rest of his life. Um, and... Yeah. I don't know that he knows what he wants to do for the yeah. rest of his life. So in the meantime, it's Rushmore. Um, he thinks Rushmore a, will get him to whatever that is, yeah. but he in a place where he got there because of a play, which there's no playwriting school. or like, Well, there is a playwriting school, but <laughs> <laughs> there's no class for playwriting when you're, you know, however, you, he, uh, however old he was when he wrote the one act about Watergate. <laughs> uh, I want to see all of these plays, by the way. <laughs> but, like, that's what got him into the upper echelon in his mm. mind. And so why wouldn't he start all of those clubs? Because that might keep him in the upper echelon, mm. if that makes any sense. So in many ways, it's a story about, a, a, and we'll get into all of Max's deficiencies, obviously, in his misguided um, hopes, I guess, for lack of a better term. But it just makes sense that he is the way he is with how he got into Rushmore and how where he's from and how what that would mean to a family like that, I guess. Yeah, and that's like, I think his character is like making up for a lot of that you know he 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 outwardly is very confident and um obviously his discussions with the uh with uh, Guggenheim is just a classic early example i mean you see, you see him in the i mean the, i mean the movie start we start the movie the start of the movie is that he believes he's a mathematic mathematical genius because he even says later on to when he's talking to rosemary or like, that's what he wants to be yeah that's what he seems to be but he won't actually put the work in to do it <laughs> you yeah know. There's a little lines where it's like the kid, you know, Dirk asked him if he uh, got his paper in on the Berlin airlift. And he's like, yeah, I got an extension. Like everything. After asking him about a math test, he didn't have. Yeah. <laughs> like, and we'll, and all, I will absolutely get to how Dirk Calloway is um, not only one of the best names in all of film forever, Dirk Calloway. Like I want to name my child that like Dirk Calloway Carlson, DCC, but uh, just a great, just a great character overall. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I just I found myself yeah, to just seeing myself so much in that character of Max. Like I didn't realize, I didn't think I I was going into the movie having not seen it for a few years um and I didn't realize how much. And I would not have seen that at the time when I watched it when I was 20 or so cuz I wouldn't have recognized that fault in myself cuz I would have still probably just blamed the blame the school or something, you know, but it was just myself not knowing I could put the work in because, you know, 
Max, obviously, with all the work he was putting into these clubs, um, you know, he was what, flying a plane four and a half hours of Log Dallas. Um, yeah, beekeeping, fencing, um, go-karts or whatever they called him in that. But actually, the people in the background are um, Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson Yeah, uh, in the background of him. But that's a great shot. Um, that is actually, I, I believe, the European cover is him in his go-kart with the goggles on. Yeah, it's so, actually the, the, cri- um, the criteria. Just all the clubs. Yeah. Yeah. The but, calligraphy class, which, you know, is a shout-out to Wes Anderson's brother who does all the the writing for all of his movies, mm. which you see, like, that's why he features it so prevalently in the movies. So, yeah, it's just, like, it's a fun intro to Wes Anderson, and I know Bottle Rocket was before it, but I think this is, like, like a nice little like lime before the tequila shot of Wes Anderson. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it it shows his, it's a restraint, like when you go towards, um, when we talk about, you know, Tenenbaums is still a little bit more grand, but then once you start going Life Aquatic and Grand Budapest and Moonrise Kingdom, Kingdom um, Darjeeling Limited, and then you've obviously got his, um, you know, love of stop motion animation, the last, uh, with a couple of movies as well. This one's like really shows his style at the start. And some of the out there ideas he has, because you know the the class, the, you know, there's no school that's actually gonna have a have a kid go through like that, and and have those classes, and you know, piping bees into a guy's hotel room, all those little ideas that get like you know get more fantastical as his movies go. There's the start of that his his unique mind, and then also his right. and then also his uh, direct directorial talents in framing shots and. And finding beauty in some of the some of the I'm not going to say mundane, but just like he, the way he shoots the film. For oh, a, absolute mundane! Know, just, just I, I, yeah, just it's so beautifully shot for what is just a high school movie um, that is mostly at the school, um, his school as well. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of it is based on the Wilson brothers and his experience in a school like that. Yeah. Um, it's not called Rushmore, obviously, but. Um, you know, Owen Wilson got kicked out when he was a sophomore and went to a, I believe, uh, some Houston school that um, is named after a president, but it's not Grover Cleveland. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think this film was the start of Wes Anderson's ideology, and I think we would have got more of it if the studio would have been okay with it. Um, in that sense, that like they didn't know that what that Wes Anderson was going to become like the box office darling that he is mm-hmm. um when he was making rushmore he had just made bottle rocket which is even less of a wes anderson type movie than this um i would say still very very well done and mm. with wilson brothers and everything but uh yeah i mean i don't really know where i was going with that but uh it is for, it is a lot of it is based off of his own experiences which um i think you find sparingly when it comes to Wes Anderson because everything does feel kind of like a fairy tale in his later movies but this mm. is very personal it seemed like yeah it felt like he was getting off like he was writing a film that was um getting his youth off like you know kind of dealing with his own his own thoughts about how he dealt with his youth I mean he was still pretty young at the time anyway but um oh you know, absolutely his, yeah. his high school experiences and how you know he felt he was a creative you know obviously he's been a had that creative mind uh, gestating from a young age and he may have felt that way too like you know just a fish out of water in school and not exactly you know when you're at that kind of mind creatively minded and you know I, I, I like writing and whatever as well and I was just I never I 
always felt frustrated by school at times because it was I, I understand and I'm like I understand why school is you know it gives you the you know, a rounded education is good to um to just get yourself ready for like all aspects of life because you know you're not always going to be able to pursue your creative pursuits you've got to live life and understand how life works and and whatnot as well but you do at that age sometimes feel a bit restrained by it when all you want to do is just burst because like, you're still trying to find yourself as well as a person which you know max you know he's all through the movie he's dealing with the loss of his mother it's not really talked about too much but it's in the it's not at all yeah we'll get it's to in that the, it's but... in the it's in the background there that he is him and his both he and his dad are his dad's, you know, content with what's going on, but he's obviously a little bit. You can see he's like kind of half open for an invitation to the cast and crew only dinner when he uh, went after the Serpico, right, the Serpico right. play. But you know, and it's he, obviously not a cast and crew dinner. Yeah, it's <laughs> the the nightmare of the scene that's one of the most memorable scenes of the film, obviously. So, yeah. but you know, Max is dealing with like a lot of insecurities that he's covering up by both his um, enthusiasm for everything. But school at Rushmore, and and his own creative desires, and and I th- I think we've all been there in high school, particularly. You know, there's plenty of people that just I don't know if all of us, but yeah, you and well, I, there's, there's like, plenty and of people, people that, like you and I. Yeah, there's plenty of people that embrace high school and and do great with the structure of it, and that's great too because they're, they're usually it's honestly, it's not that hard. Yeah, it's it not. I could have I could have done so much better at high school and and probably college college I did fine with, but you know I could have done even better if I. Wasn't talking about movies at the pub, but you know. <laughs> well, I also, I also would, I also would, yeah, I wouldn't change that experience because that's part of who who I am as a person. So, and I think that's just what this movie is about: is finding who you are and and but doing it, you know, battling the forces that you feel are trying to change the way who you are, but they're actually just trying. You know, I, I you know, the education system isn't perfect, but you know, school is a, you know, there is a lot of things about school that you do need as a person and you know if he'd done if he just you know he doesn't need to do bombardment bombardment club or whatever the dodgeball was which is dodgeball yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then he gets it immediately yeah or he doesn't need to be an alternate on the 112s for the wrestling team yeah and get like where he's getting body (laughs) well yeah one of the funniest parts of the movie is something like hey nice to see you again because that kid had wrecked his shit Several times before that, <laughs> yeah. obviously. He's like, hey, good to see you again. I'm about to get murdered. Yeah. And he's fine with it because it's something that's not like... And it, Yeah. What, you do kind of like get frustrated with Max, but then you have to put yourself it like back when you were 15 years old mm-hmm. and like what you were driven by. And you were driven by lust. A lust that you didn't really understand especially when it comes to an older woman. Thankfully, I didn't have an older woman that I was lusting after at that age. But, uh, like, I got my worst grades my sophomore year of high school, for sure. I was just, like, a big hormone walking around. Just, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, that's how it is. And, like, at least, you know... And that's why Schwartzman was, like, such... Like, this was his film debut, and he's such an amazing pick mm. for for Wes Anderson because he played it perfectly. I, I think I think this movie is a lot less effective if it isn't Jason Schwartzman as that character because he, uh, it's it's just in the subtleties of everything yeah. like him trying to impress um, the teacher which I'm blanking on her name Rosemary I know her first name but I'm yeah. blanking on her last name Miss yeah. Miss Cross Cross yeah. Rosemary Cross which is super Catholic now that I think about it <laughs> <laughs> him trying to impress her the first time. And like 
talking about Latin and stuff, and she brings up something else, and he's just like, well, moving on. And oh, it's when, she, when, like, when he asks what she studied, and she says, oh, you know, Latin and Latin and South American history or something like that. And he's just like, oh, yeah, Latin. Like, did you hear about them shutting yeah. down the Latin program? And she's like, well, this is more about Central America. And he just goes, hmm, Central America and whatnot. Well, moving on. <laughs> well, moving on. And like, because he wants to be an adult so bad because yeah. like that's what got him into that school. And like, I'll tackle this subject now because like we don't really have like segments on this podcast, but it's like, yeah, this whole movie yeah. is based about like, in my opinion, is basically like, be yourself when it comes down to it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's like the central theme of it because like, even like, you know, Bloom wasn't happy with like his marriage and yeah he cheats on his wife but there's this scene with the pool which i think is the most relatable to even guys in their young 20s like i was when i really rewatched this and really like glommed onto it again um is him diving into the pool mm-hmm. after he sees his wife like being fed food by like some hunk at a country club it's like yeah i think why in the, i think in the screenplay it's read as like a tennis tennis lesson t- like a tennis teacher or something like that i can't remember there was like a well that's what it looks like yeah. he's like wearing all white and she's like getting food from him and giggling and he's just sitting over there in his budweiser <laughs> budweiser i trunks. need to get those fucking trunks <laughs> yeah i need to do that uh cannonball yeah after throwing golf balls in for no reason like into the pool and then just slugging, golf balls slugging back like an entire tumbler of whiskey finishing your well a cigarette i think with my with a cigarette yeah <laughs> We have all been we have all been Herman Bloom in that situation, I think. So this is like about people not being where they want to be, and then like hopefully finding where they want to be through unlikely relationships, and it's also a love triangle in the most um, out there type of way, which is uh, definitely a unique love triangle because Max doesn't really fit in at all because there's no love. I mean, there's the only the love from him to Mrs. Cross or Miss Cross. Yeah. Uh, is and there she, and she says at some point in the movie i think that um she sees like her husband like she, she talks about the similarities between her husband and max yeah i think that was a mistake how, on her part yeah but that was her just more like trying to say like i think she is trying she sees something in max and it's certainly that she's she's struggling with her own issues with her husband only died last year um and it's obvious I think she plays the role so perfectly. It's Olivia Williams. Oh, absolutely. Um, that yeah. she she's got this like she's very she's such a strong woman in the movie, but she also has those those frailties from what she's been through, and she's looking. She's also looking. They're all looking for someone to confide in and just have a a relationship with, which is friendship. You know, which they have to they have the discussion about relationship versus friendship in the movie, and they're all just looking for someone that isn't is real i guess they want to have a real something whereas you know because max his entire his entire uh rushmore life is even his best friend dirk is somewhat of a fake friendship up until the end of the film because he's just using dirk to get to the mother to hopefully get a hand job in the back of a jaguar and um <laughs> and uh and you know so his entire relationship with rushmore is all built on this facade of him being this you know this golden child that wrote a one act play about Watergate, as he said, and and is but he's surrounded by golden children. Yeah, at that place. I mean, a lot of them. So are he's trying to like separate him. He's too. still trying to separate himself, and he thinks he's above them because he says, you know, I've 
you know, he says we're not te- they're not technically meant to have assistance, but you know, I'm on academic um, scholarship, so I, I get special here and things here and there, and yeah, they're all trying to find something. And I think you know, as far as strong as Miss Cross is in the movie, and I think I think uh, Anderson does a perfect job of playing that relationship without letting it get creepy. Because there's a few times where you know, literally uh, Max tries to force himself on her in the classroom when she's leaving, and any any one of those scenes in the less capable hands of like a less capable writer director would have um uh would have come off real you know especially in this day and age of me too and whatever but watching that movie still it doesn't it doesn't ever get to that line um wackle pop um it never gets to that line of being creepy or anything it's just perfectly played to the innocence of max in that situation trying something that he's just not exactly sure what he wants and then that line like the dialogue from rosemary afterwards that breaks down his sense of romanticism when he's when she's like you know do you think we're gonna have sex and he says well you know it's a cheap way of putting it and she's like well it's not when you've fucked you know like yeah and, and, it's you can just, and you can just see his face drop and like realize like what he think like this golden idea he has of what this relationship it, that's never going to be what he thinks it could be is not going to be because it's not going to be the same for her because she doesn't feel the same way um she loves. She's got. A, I think. I think there's some love for for him in in her for him as a as a person and what he can be because I think she sees strangely in him the 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 possibilities that Max has if he gets his head around who he is. But but also the yeah. Bird Appleby similarities. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Especially the like end scene um, when she takes off the glasses and she's almost like taken back by it because she's mm. like, "Oh, you've become an adult now," and now like I don't want to go too far ahead right now mm-hmm. um, with where we're at in the pod. But I think that is a huge moment of like, cause she's almost like taken, taken aback at that or else she is. But uh, yeah, I think a big scene or like a big part of that scene where she's talking about like, well, would you tell him you fingered me and mm-hmm. that I gave you a hand job and all that stuff. But like if he tries to kiss her and she pushes him away and he like trips over <laughs> the boxes in like the most awkward way. And it's just like, it's and then he like picks himself up, doesn't even address it. Mm-hmm. Like an adult would address it at least. And he's trying so hard to be an adult in this moment, but it's like, dude, like, like you're a clumsy little fifteen year old. Like, <laughs> you're fucked, man. Yeah. Like, just accept it. And I think that scene is like kind of like, I don't know if it's rock bottom for Max because Max has some rock bottoms, and there are some unredeeming sides of max that i hope we get to that i'm not super into that i don't think he deserves like the kind of grandiose finish that he gets but uh but i think that scene is really like the grounding scene for him it's like dude you're fucked like Mm -hmm. quit like quit trying with rushmore quit trying with this chick quit trying to like be something beyond what you're capable of yeah and like i think like they never show him fulfilling that play of whatever the hell he's doing at Grover Cleveland. I assume it's like some movie I haven't seen, like whether it's like don't be a menace South central or something like that, but he's trying to like adapt that. (laughs) I forgot about that one. Yeah. He's trying to adapt that at Grover Cleveland and the, and um, Margaret Yang's in it um, in the backseat with her hair poofed out and stuff, but they like hoping to get a kiss. I think like, (laughs) right. Yeah. (laughs) And he just refuses. Yeah. And that like, and then they kiss like that scene is like him refusing to be like of that age. Whereas like any teenager should like be dying to get kissed at that age. Like even in practice, whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, especially that girl who he ends up with. But it's just a thing 
where that was kind of like the rock bottom and he needed that to start up anew and start this new play. And granted the bike scene, which is the most cringe, cringe inducing scene of plenty with Max in this film, but the cringe and the, the bike scene at Mrs. Ms. Cross's house yeah, is so brutal to this day. So that's not rock bottom though. I feel like that scene in the classroom it, because it's clear that she quit because of him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's just like literally ruining her life. And like, he's already ruined Herman's life and now he's ruining his own. Yeah. So. I think probably the scene where he possibly the arrest arrest scene might be rock bottom too. Cause he's getting marched out, but then it could be, I would a, argue with that. I would argue with you on that. I think that, I think that works for him. I was, about, I was literally just about to say it might actually like that's rock bottom. That would be rock bottom to me. But then, with how his mind works and how that's like, how he, he's fighting. It's not even how his mind works. It's, it's just, just public school. And he's the center of attention. Like, he's. Oh, always, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which you know, he's always trying to break a bit, break ahead of the, the mold. So, yeah, I, I that like I looked at that at rock, as when you start talking about rock bottom, I was trying to think of other scenes, and I was like the arrest arrest scene. But in my, in my head straight away when I thought of it, I was like, but it kind of works for his um his misplaced ego, I guess, at the time. I just, like, think the arrest scene, like, actually, like, works for him in a public school sense of, like, he's at this place and he's, like, wearing a blazer and all that Mm. stuff. But it's, like, you know, I think it got, like, people to trust him more. Probably a a public school. Not that that, um, Anderson hints at that at all. Mm -hmm. But, um, I I mean, just the fact that he got away with that play at Grover Cleveland, I think, is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's too political for Rushmore. (laughs) Well, yeah, because he blew some kid's finger yeah. off. But uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess the other, he does after after he gets arrested though he does kind of quit school for a bit there and just kind of yeah. What's that about? That's like one of my biggest like flaws with this film. And there's a couple that I have, but like, I is think that just okay with him quitting school at fifteen? Well. I guess I, I don't know how you deal with your son being arrested for fault, playing with the brakes on a guy's on a on a millionaire's car. He might just be like, "Yeah, you probably should be a barber for a while." But then his dad does say like, "And I it's, think his dad's I, lonely, it's also but... it's also Mac. Yeah, all his dad does say, "I've really enjoyed you being at the shop like lately." But you know, I I and his dad says he's like, "I'm a barber and I enjoy it." But I I felt like you wanted to be something more, like a diplomat or a senator. <laughs> but you know. But and right, and, 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 like, Mac, and Max with his hair like he looks like an adult in those scenes with his shirt and he's he's like it's it's okay dad I'm a barber's son like those are pipe dreams yeah. like it, it, I think it's him yeah, fuck uh, that line though fuck you Max but <laughs> yeah fuck with your dad like until the very end until yeah. like the very end of the flick which we we understand that like the the coolest thing I think, not I think, the coolest I thing think, about the movie it's yeah. amazing but no go ahead no you you go ahead first I'll get to it. The coolest thing is that, like, to me is, like, how, like, grounded his dad is throughout the entire thing. Like, like I think there's a scene where they're, like, watching football, eating, like, TV dinners. Mm-hmm. And his dad, like, just seems completely content because Max is doing it with him. And it's just, like, and then, like, later when um, uh, oh, um, Luke Wilson's character uh, says to him, he's like, oh, I hear you're a surgeon. He's like, no, I'm a barber. He's like, oh, I thought you were a neurosurgeon. He's like... Yeah, a lot of people make that mistake. <laughs> and he just it's and like he, just him being like that cool with that. And, and he like just laughs it off because he knows. It, is. Yeah, he knows exactly why people make that mistake, but he just laughs it off because he's like he understands it's not Max 
being ashamed of him is Max being insecure about himself more than right. anything, I think. And he's so proud of Max throughout it, too. It's Because like, yeah. he knows Max like, has got something special. It's just Max. Whether it's the it Serpico play where he's just like <laughs> eating popcorn, like super into it, or like the end play where he's like saying, That's my son. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, like his dad is the low key MVP of the film, I feel like, because he's just like, first of all, he's completely comfortable with where his lot in life, even though he's lost a wife and he doesn't, I can guarantee he doesn't really connect with his son because um, mm-hmm. he just seems like kind of like a blue collar. You know, I like sports guy, which like not saying that those guys can't like relate to a more artistic person, but uh, he certainly loves the plays. He, I mean, he's, that's just pr- just... pride in his son. Yeah, yeah, and like Max is an only child. I get it. My parents, like you know, they take extreme pride in you, and like so, like that makes me like that character a lot. Just like I like my parents because it's like you know, it's a different type of thing. Like it's a different type of relationship, and mm. uh, I think that character is awesome throughout the movie and is um, kind of like a nice current to like what bloom is to like, it's like kind of like a, I was going to say, you could really say he's, nice he's, dark he's the center, he's does. the emotional scent, like center of the movie. Cause you got everything going blooms direction, uh, Max's direction, even uh, Miss Cross's direction with their uh, brokenness. With bloom. Certain, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. They're all like broken in a certain way. Whereas Max's dad is just, he certainly, I'm sure, he misses his wife and whatever, and and the, and Max's mother, and they live next to the be, graveyard. Yeah, but you know, he's <laughs> <laughs> he's uh he's just content with life because he's found you know he's found his thing that he can do and he's happy to do it, which is like the whole film is about finding. You know, Max says, you know, <laughs> what yeah, Bloom asks what the secret is at the start of the film, and Max says it's just finding finding that thing you and like. And that's the thesis statement yeah. of the film. Yeah. We That's get. what we're all supposed to be doing is mm-hmm. what's the secret? Yeah. Finding that thing that you love to do and, and do it for the rest of your life. <laughs> and bloom. And, yeah. And so bloom. sometimes that thing you do might be a bit misguided, like going to high school forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Max wanted that. Yeah. Like even at the start saying like, even if it means like staying on for an extra year and he's like, <laughs> we don't offer that. And it's like, well, not yet. It's like, dude, get the, like, you don't get it yet. And yeah. he needed, Ms. Cross to take him to adulthood because he already thought he was in adulthood. Mm. And I think that's why his dad calling him Maxi throughout the film is so like, or offering him cash it like before the, uh, the famous OR scene. Yeah. Um, is um, like his dad sees through all that bullshit and just, he's like a little kid. That's his son doing mm. all of this stuff. And he's so proud of him because he's like dude, 15 year old, like, turning Serpico into a play. Like, it's pretty cool. (laughs) I guess it might be a good time since you're talking about Max trying to be an adult and, you know, not quite there yet. It might be a good time to talk about the OR scene because that is where you you realize how how much he has, much growth he has to do to be an adult because he's trying to be an adult in an adult situation. Herman's trying to help him be an adult in an adult situation by buying him a drink that he shouldn't be drinking. I don't know if that's the case, but yeah, yeah. Well, he, it. he is, Max is sitting there trying to be equal with all these people. He's talking to the waiter like he's, you know, I'm sorry about these, this, this situation. I don't think Herman understands that, though. I think no. Herman's pretty, like, aloof to everything. Oh, no, I'm not saying like, Herman, like, brought him the drink to say, oh, like, he is. Herman's just like, Herman's forgetting that the kid's only 15 as well. <laughs> I think that's the yeah. big thing, is but, but, Herman's so, like, out of touch. Because 
his kids are that age. But yeah. he looks at he's asking this kid to tell him the secret of life and this kid is so the opposite of what he has is that he thinks that's what he wants. And it's kinda like him looking at Miss Cross and they don't really get into Bloom's relationship, but obviously he was in the war and who knows how his relationship with his wife, but you just know he's unhappy with the kids he has. Mm. So I think Max provides him like the opposite side of the spectrum <laughs> and he doesn't really know how to deal with that. Yeah. Well, like, Cause his kids would love having, um, you know, whiskey seven or whatever it is. I think it's a, I think it's I whiskey and soda. They just say a whiskey and soda is like, I think what Miss Cross says. So probably like, a Jameson and ginger or yeah. whatever, but like, that's usually this what I brought to you by Jameson. <laughs> Please give me a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, just mail it to our door though. Social distancing. Just leave it at the door. Mail it to one, two, three shape. <laughs> It'll get here. Uh for some for some reason I just started thinking of the ad you know, the um Starship Troopers address and washout lane. <laughs> God damn it. I like there needs like when people actually listen to this, which thank you to all of our listeners right now. You, yeah, there is a few downloads coming, so it's great. You we mean the world it. to me. But we just need to start counting the uh, Starship Troopers references in every film. <laughs> or uh, every film. Every podcast we do. Yeah. Because yeah. they will all be coming from David and they will be plentiful. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, is one of my comfort movies. Um, but yeah, the, back to the OR scene. Um that's like I love that because that's like obviously it's when Herman meets Rosemary as well and that that kind of thing starts um, that night. But it's calls just, for her right away as well. Yeah, uh, I I love Luke Wilson in this scene. <laughs> well, the the whole time, even when he meets him at the at the end of the play, um, he's just like, "What the? F- I'm just I'm just trying to." He's trying to be so nice and he's trying to, and he deals with it so well because Max is being a complete. Well, he's kid. dealing with a kid. He's dealing with a child. Yeah. But you know, I've seen plenty of parents that just go, "Can you discipline this kid?" But you know, he's just kind of—he's he, trying to treat him like an adult as well. Like he's being really respectful to Max, and he said he likes his play. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like me to pass you the the cream of dark? Like, <laughs> just smacks yeah, him on the back of the hand with the. When he hits him it, with it, like the the butter knife, it's like the yeah. first scene of like, or that's the first time like Luke Wilson is finally like, "What the." F- fuck is this shit yeah. like fuck shit like i would have like lost my nerve way quicker than luke wilson's character did in in mm. it but um but yeah like the fact that max doesn't like give give that up for so long in the film is like oh you were there with what's his name like that's another line later but yeah. then he invites to play just shows the growth which is amazing but yeah the or scene is like the the most brutal like feeling to act one of a film like there's obviously way more brutal like ends but like for a movie that's supposed to be a comedy and supposed to be like hey let's have fun like this is you know it's a dark scene it's a 15 year old professing his love and the entire audience knowing like this woman's not gonna love you dude you're 15 and you're beyond that like the weirdest motherfucker ever. <laughs> and he argued. Not really. Max is cooler than I thought in, in retrospect. Yeah. And he argues himself around the point before he finally gets to it because he says, you know, <laughs> he does the like, I wrote a hit play. What did you do today? You know, like, 
and he does all that stuff and he and then he starts it's disgusting when he does that yeah and he starts yelling <laughs> like, at rosemary he's like you you know how important this night was for to me and she's like and genuinely she doesn't actually she probably understands that the play was a really and she's impressed with his achievement there but like he's the only one that knows that the night was important because he loves her and and like so like she's like he's expecting her some res reciprocity from her that was never going to come. Yeah, and, and she doesn't, and he probably knows deep down, it's because they've had the conversation already in the classroom when he's assisting her with the lemonade and whatnot and her pens. And he still thinks he can win her over at yeah. that point, though. He well, thinks if it. she sees that play, that's what, it, yeah. that's what it'll and do. And that dialogue... brings a guy, like, obviously. That dialogue is so well written in that scene earlier as well, just to jump back to it for a brief moment, like... How he says, um, like she says, you do know you're too young for me, and he, and he, and he says, I would, I, I've considered the possibility that you would think that. Like he's just like, yeah, he doesn't he's agree smart, with it. He's smart enough to know exactly what the situation is, but he's not. He's he's too, com- he's misplaced. Naive. Com- yeah, his misplaced confidence, his naivety, like about like thinking that no matter what she thinks, we'll be able to overcome it eventually. Like, I'll, Yeah. yeah and that's his thing, that he wants to be an adult. And he, he and it's everything in his life. He wants to be a, an adult, whether it's with Guggenheim, whether it's with her, whether it's with the people at the school. And he's not, and that's what's holding him back. Yeah. And it's funny because Bloom, with all his aloofness, he does offer Max a chance to be an adult. He says, come work for me. Because he sees the, the potential in Max and he sees like, you know... Um, the son he probably wishes he had and, uh, instead of the two that he has. Um, but he's also yeah. lost and he fucks it yeah. up because he just ends up giving. And I don't know if we would ever get to it in this pod anyway, but might as well just bring it up right now. They both, like, they both try to build an aquarium for her and she doesn't show up to either of them. Yeah. And they both have similar reactions. But the first time it's Dirk Mac, Max Calvay. even say, Max even says the line. Is it Dirk that says the line earlier in the film that it's not Dirk, looking good? Yeah. And then Max says it later, like in the same kind. Like Max yeah, is kind it's of an, yeah, yeah. It's it's, an ama- it's amazing film. Like yeah. it's so like because it just shows like oh my god, I don't know how to really phrase this, but like it just shows that They're Max both. didn't know what to do then, and Bloom didn't know what to do that. Like it's not about age. Like we're we can all be lost, mm-hmm. and we're all like just like we just we all need help from somebody, and it doesn't like the fact that Max gets help from Dirk, and that Bloom gets help from Max is it's just amazing filmmaking for a guy who was you know. It, it really set the groundwork for what Wes Anderson could do, but I do think it's one of his best movies at the same time. Like, yeah, he's just amazing. It's so grounded in his own experience because he probably sees Wes Anderson making this film is like Max finally making that that play or film that he might have made after he finished high school and finally actually show the world like, yeah, this is what I was working towards. You know, I was a you know. And that's, uh, I think that's what Wes, you know, he says it's very personal to him, his own experience, because he was that kid that was a little bit, wasn't exactly sure on the um, structure of high school and whatever, but he was like creatively minded and, and, and had these ideas. And it's incre- I feel like I dislike Max more than you. I, you, you might do. I was going to, okay. So the, I feel oh, like I, we're flipping this from last week. Uh, like, <laughs> like, I defended Christian, now you're defending Max, because like Max like bothers me, like, so I certainly much, I I, he bothers me a lot in the sense that 
I think he do, obviously he goes too far. But the, the, I I also look at that as a Wes, an early sta, early cha, like um, intro into Wes Anderson's trope of like these movies exist in our world, but they also exist in a slightly parallel universe of a slightly more fantastical version of our world. And you know, it gets, I don't know. I think that kid exists though. <laughs> I do. I don't think he was you or me by any means. Yeah. But I think that kid exists. I guess I've seen myself. Maybe we should have been them. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, if I could, if I could have written a play like that last one for my school, I would have, uh, that would have been fun. I would have enjoyed that. Yeah, heaven and hell. <laughs> Maybe we write it after this. Maybe we just stay on this FaceTime call and write a play called Heaven and Hell right now. Get a Tony, get a Tony under our belt. I mean, it's the next logical step because you know, <laughs> where is where have we got the misplaced hey, confidence maxed up? Tag him and bag him, soldier. <laughs> Simplify, simplify. Temper fucking pie. Oh my god! Is that scary? like the fact that it gets a standing ovation? The play gets a standing ovation, even though they have to stop in the middle of it because Max gets hit in the like that. Like ruins how good that play is to me. I'm like, I bet that play is like at least okay, but like they all stop and Brungan. I think his name's Brungan. I don't know his name. The Scott. Bucket, like, yeah, Bucket. Magnus, just, Magnus Bucket or something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Magnus. Yeah. Yeah. Just rolls around and just stares at the guy that's playing a Viet Cong. Yeah. It's like, like this is a terrible play. <laughs> this is what's happening. Like, honestly, like, I mean, kudos awful. to Max in that moment for getting up and saying, no, just keep going. Like, obviously. I mean, that, yeah. And that shows that, like, he grew from. Like the Serpico play of him being obsessed. With, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Because you know, it's very, you know, it's just to show growth, but it's also to show that he's like that they're all still kids doing a production. But also that play had to suck, right? Heaven and hell. I mean, it had to be like it had to be okay, but like I want to see it. I want to see the of it are so bad. It, the, 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 the so last bad. line, the last lines of it are showing that these are kids writing a play about war. Like they still don't quite get it, life. Like it, the, it's it's great writing from Anderson to kind of. Like yeah. I, I want to see the scr- I want to see the full script that Ma- uh, Max throws down to Bucken in the like when he shot him with the BB gun. I want to see the script to see what this movie was at, this play was actually about because you see a couple of incredibly well pro- Herman cries yeah so. <laughs> but that's like <laughs> the, the, the he literally <laughs> 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 I noticed that on the second rewatch last night he's everyone's clapping and he's just holding his fist up. <laughs> It's <laughs> just, and it's not like like so people would see him. It's just literally like here, like that Bill Murray kills that seat so much. I like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that. Oh man, that makes like. Uh, but yeah, that's like yeah, it's showing whether Max like, and I was thinking about like, I, and whether I've missed something whether it's explicitly said. But Max does ask him about like early in the movie. He's like. Were you in the shit? And it's like, yeah, I was in the shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was so in that, the shit. And Max has so that no shows, response to that. Yeah, and because Max, all he knows is Vietnam was just, it was in the shit. Like, and that, so I think that whole play was probably just his idea of what Vietnam was, which the, the movie probably, the, the play kind of looks like what Vietnam is to us anyway. It's like, we, it's just, it was a just complete travesty of a war and brutal, brutal for the guys on the ground. So the action sequences of the play look quite realistic. Um, you know, production design is like 10 out of 10 for a high school play. Like, you're never going to see one like it. Um, yeah, some kid at Rushmore blew his finger off. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't get it done over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an ode to it's an you know because he says at the start of the play before he um, says oh if there's there's glasses and earplugs below your seats as well he says this plays for uh, um, my mother Elo- Eloise Fisher and um, Edward Appleby a friend of a friend and then the play what it's about is actually for uh, Herman as well I think you know it's a it's an ode to it's him. absolutely yeah. about so Herman. so that's why you know. I, I, I really want to see the script for the play to know if it was any good. Like Because all you see is two action sequences and no real story in between apart from knowing that he must have met, met this Viet Cong lady and got to the point that she wants to marry him at the end of the play. Which, But again, it shows how childlike they are actually are and how much growth they have to do beyond this movie with the storyline of this movie is that for all the maturing they're trying to do, they still just have don't, still have so much more growth to do as as humans because that's just what kids are like. We no matter how how smart you are in high school, you still have so much more to do in life to actually understand what life is all about. And and you never find and you never quite find it because the other part of the movie is that Herman is still trying to find it, even though he's made a self made millionaire and and been to Vietnam like he's had life experiences that are, you know, beyond like you know the fact that he was his character is not talked about like you said. He has the tattoo, um, and he and he mentions that he was in Vietnam, and he says that he was in the shit, which is like you know, we we all know what Vietnam. Like anyone that has any understanding of Vietnam is it, it was horrible. So his the life, shit was the shit. Yeah, his life experiences are actually incredible. Like, and on top of being in the shit and being a self-made millionaire and a still and a still magnate, basically. He also has the life experiences of being married to a horrible woman and having two shit house kids. So like, and he's so he's still so he's still trying to learn. He's you know, and he's, and he's in his late forties, early fifties, and he's still lost. So it shows both the childlike wonder of un, trying to understand things that are just that, that still takes so much more life experience to understand. But it also shows us that we've still got to grow all the way through life and keep growing. Otherwise, you you end up stagnated and lost, like Herman was. But I also yeah, absolutely everything. Um, to what you said but also i feel like it it's a it's a point to keep searching for what you want and not to settle for you know what it is is like max shouldn't settle for rushmore because obviously it's not working out and like herman shouldn't settle for his marriage and his stupid fucking kids like (laughs) he shouldn't settle for that like you should all like it's a really impressive film for a young filmmaker at the time to say like yeah like we should all like try to strive to be what we want. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a happy story, and I think like it concluding with I don't even know what the fucking song is called because it's like so played out and like used in commercials now. But at the time in 1998, uh, using I wish that I knew what I knew now when I was younger, is it like Ooh La La or something like that. I don't know, man. It's I, I'll I'll Google it while while you're chatting. I mean, it's a corny song that's just been filtered into everything, and, like, we all feel that way at some point, but, like, like it doesn't feel corny in that movie, and it didn't feel corny, like, I, I, I guarantee it didn't feel corny in it at 98, because I'm sure, like, people weren't, like, you know, advertisers weren't using it to sell Pepsi or some shit. Yeah, but, uh, it is ooh la la by the faces. Um. But it also just is exactly what Wes Anderson... Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Wes Anderson heard that song one day and was like, I need to write a film about this. Because mm. it, because that is... Like, it's for everybody. It, that song is for everybody. I wish, like, Matt, I wish Max knew... Like, Max wishes he knew what he knew. In, like, in high school, especially, man. Yeah. Every year, you're like, God damn, I wish I could... <laughs> like, I don't know. But Hermit and just... every Like... 
Plus, that song's timeless. I mean, that's not, like, I don't care who you are, you can relate to that song. I don't care if you're, like, the oh, richest I, man. I listened like, to the whole, like, both times I've watched the film the last couple of days, I've let the credits roll until uh, that that song finishes, and then the, the thing is just some sound score stuff after that. But yeah, well, it's I, a perfect I, I've let it play out, because well, especially because yeah. I just want to soak in that last scene and, like, as the credits are rolling, hear that song and just think about it. And um, Yeah, it's... Well, I think it's also a big thing that Max, like, requests that song and know yeah. like to know to know that you're in that and request that song like yeah it's i mean it's it's an amazing flick and wes anderson definitely like i don't know i know we'll get into some more specifics because we kind of rush like through the entire film now that we're at the end of it but like yeah that the song kind of makes the entire film at the end. And like, I know we'll talk about the soundtrack and maybe we'll talk about it right now, but that song at the end is just like, the sums up, like, like you said at the start of the movie, there's the thesis stated basically when Herman and Max are having the discussion as Herman's slowly rolling, waiting for his shithouse kids. I'm just going to refer to him as the shithouse kids from now on. Um, Donnie and Ronnie. Yeah. Um, but you know, the thesis, Get your head out of your ass. <laughs> Just reaches back and just fucking punches him. Just, <laughs> just, he's not even trying to punch. It looks like he's, he's just, going for a grab, which I it's such so a, much. It's such dad. a dad thing to do to just fucking lose their shit and just go fucking. I don't know what to do, but I'm just gonna grab you right now and just. Yeah, because he waits like five seconds and he's just like, <laughs> "Am I gonna lose my shit right now?" Yeah, and yeah. he doesn't go for a punch. He's just like a like I want to grab the like neck of the shirt of. Ronnie or Donnie. Yeah. He doesn't know. Yeah. We don't know. He doesn't know. It is but he wants to doesn't give a shit about it at this point either. <laughs> yeah. But you know that thesis... <laughs> the thesis is kind of summed up in, in that, like, you know, the thesis is flawed, like, in the sense that we don't actually, you know, well, it's, it's you know, you want to find what you want to do, but then the, the movie... Well, humanity's flawed, yeah, man. Yeah, but the song at the end also shows that you never know what you know, like later on, what you know will always define what you think you should have done at the time, but your life experiences are always just leading to that point as well. So it's like... Are the reason you know it, which yeah, is the point of that song. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, you're time, is, right. time is just a flat circle in that sense. So, yeah. I think it's about time. It's good In time. the happiest of ways. Yes, time yeah. Time is a flat circle is used as a very sad plot device in not only True Detective Season 1, but also my own life when I say it's a, <laughs> when I roll through Taco Bell every day during the quarantine. <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the mo- more positive way than um, yeah, Ru- as Russ yeah. Cole, yeah, great show. Um, I think it's about it's yeah. Let me just like pull like a a human being out of this beer can, which like I still don't understand how that happened, but he did it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did it. It took a couple of days, arc- just sitting around a table getting interviewed. Um, yeah, God, I think it's about right it's now. a good time now to take an intermission because we're about uh, close to an hour in, and we can um, re-wrap ahead of heads around what we want to get to next. But um, right. yeah, it's a good right before the third act. Yeah, <laughs> all right, we'll be right back with you after we've uh, grabbed our beers from our non non sponsored beers, and we'll be Wait back. For it. <laughs> that was the first <laughs> time the train has ever been perfectly timed. We'll be right back. That is insane. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you. you guys have it real easy. I never had it like this where I grew up. But I send my kids here because the fact is 
you go to one of the best schools in the country, Rushmore. Now, for some of you, it doesn't matter. You were born rich, and you're going to stay rich. But here's my advice to the rest of you. Take dead aim on the rich boys. Get them in the crosshairs and take them down. Just remember, they can buy anything, but they can't buy backbone. Don't let them forget that. Thank you. Alrighty, we're back for the second half of the uh, Rushmore episode of Pints of Popcorn. We've had about an hour break, like in our time, because we just were drinking beer and chatting away, and was like, "Wait, we should." Well, you have to tell them that. <laughs> hey, look, just honest, like more to just get people in in frame with the fact that we've had between the last time you heard from us and now there was about a beer and a half. So, you know, just yeah, so, just so if you haven't had a beer and a half, like just chug one back now and get in that level is pretty much where I'm going with this. It's pints and popcorn, so, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more pints than popcorn at this point, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's the third act of the of the play. So. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, um, we've, we've talked about a lot like with the, you know, Rushmore was one of those movies that for a 93-minute movie that is um, on its surface a comedy, a coming-of-age comedy, it is, there's so much depth to it, and we, so we spent most of the first hour talking about uh, Max, who is obviously the central character for the film, but the the other real, oh easily yeah. yeah, and look, you can say there's three ma- like there's two major characters in Max and Herman, and then there's of course uh, Miss Cross as well, who we've, we've covered a bit in the Max portion of our chat, and we did we certainly talked about Herman a fair bit, but I guess we've talked about Max's journey, like how the movie is Max's a lot of Max's journey from gr- uh, growing, but then we touched on the fact that um, the movie also shows that you you don't ever stop growing, and Herman Herman is the uh, is the uh, like the microscope into that part of life, and um, I think you, you know you mentioned that he's like one of you, like the one of the real characters from the film that you love, um, and you know from a I do from a movie fan standpoint, it's like a real renaissance in um, Bill Murray's career. It was like the uh, the start of it his, really was the start yes. of his second half. Really, um, I've like I love Stripes, I love Ghostbusters, like all his early comedy is just fantastic. But this was like this showed this was the start of his nuanced side of his. His true comedic talent is how he can make the uh, mundane and the morose funny. And he spends a lot of this movie is him making a quite terrible life in real reality. Um, his terrible life, like obviously he's a, he's a millionaire and he's um, most awake when he's at work and everything else sucks really. But he makes it quite funny but also quite poignant in how his performance um, as Herman Bloom really really encapsulates the entire thesis of the movie. Like, you know, Max Max on his own, it doesn't make this movie. It's Herman as the offset of Max and showing the future of what life can be. If you don't if you if you do stop searching for those things, um, as we mentioned in the first half of the pod, Herman really is that And you take money. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yes, I do I, I do feel like Wes Anderson was making a point here with mm-hmm. um the cross-section of Max and Herman, even though I do like Herman a lot more than Max, but I am 31 years old now. So, like, you know, you dial it back to when, especially, like, early college, I probably would have been just like, oh, this this Herman guy, you know, he's just, this lost soul is pathetic, but, like, once you get a little, you know, just a little bit older, you, you start to understand, like, 
Yeah, I mean, especially like a guy like Herman who came back from the war, he probably didn't want to go into what a steel. I don't know yeah. what he does. They, they don't really get into what Bloom does. But he's so interested in Max and it it just strikes the viewer as oh like this is probably what he would have wanted to do or be like if he didn't have to go to war mm-hmm. or wasn't from like an extreme amount of money to follow through because who knows if you know the Bloom family fortune goes beyond him I'm sure yeah. it does actually so it is an interesting contrast, and he is such a great character, especially in the late 90s when I don't think, you know, it was on the verge of the anti-hero, mm-hmm. of Tony Soprano, everybody in The Wire, you know, everything like that. So I think Edward, not, I always call him Edward, Bloom is the type of anti-hero that preceded the anti-hero in modern television and modern film. And I love it to death. I think his role in this is crucial to understanding the film and honestly understanding Max at the end of it is it's just like, you know, we're all trying to be adults. And even if we like, you can try so hard to be an adult and it doesn't matter about the money you make or what you have or this or that. Being in the idea of the American dream or the adult American dream doesn't really exist. Like, no matter how much money you have or how little money you have. So that's kind of what I took away from it, especially when I was younger, um, trying to watch this film. But uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you summed up so much of what my thoughts are that it is... He is kind of the... the um, the example of you can have everything, you know, the American dream as it's been told to us, you know, is, is money and fortune and self-made self-made, you know, millionaires and whatnot. And after all that, he's got, he's got everything he could want. He's got the house at the pool and, um, and the wife and a couple of kids. He's got like the, he's got the nuclear family as they call it. Um, yet. Kids he hates. Yeah. The the kids are fucking assholes. His wife is, a bitch um because even like when max like calls her up and like he, he's it is 2020 so let me preface that uh yes a bitch but uh she is it does seem like she is cheating on herman yeah in some in in some context so um yes bitch i don't you, you know whatever yeah i mean matter. yeah we're breaking down we're, we're talking about movies so you know we we know we know what that we we you know his kids are assholes and you know she's just she's just not like a nice she's not a nice person. <laughs> I already brought up I already yeah. brought up how she was, you know, like being fed by a tennis instructor yeah. in front of her husband and like looking at him. They both look like, at him and just give him this death stare, like, you know, you wouldn't be here if you didn't have to be. Like which is her kind of acknowledging like you know, she, yeah, but she she doesn't give a shit about her kid's birthday party. She's yeah. there so she can hang out with that tennis pro and enjoy the money that and enjoy the money that her husband's making. So yeah, because there's no there's right, no, and we're not saying like the the money is all based. You know, we we assume the concept. The, I think from the movie standpoint, where her her role is to be the unappreciative wife of a guy that makes millions of dollars and doesn't really give a right, shit. Right, that's why that scene kind of like yeah, it falls a little flat to me because it's like. Well, it would be easy to see why Herman would be like looking like, 
it would make more sense why everybody was so mad at Herman in the film if Wes Anderson didn't show that scene of his wife, like, mm. doing honestly the exact same thing beforehand. Yeah. But, you know, it's a different... You know? I... Wes Anderson did what he did, and I'm sure it was all for a reason, and it did honestly play out as as it as it should have. Yeah, like, I mean, I we're just meant to be getting a picture into a man's life when he's at the point where, uh, I mean, we we talked about Midsummer last week, where you know a relationship is at like a point where it can't be returned, but they're not they're not quite they're just treading water, I guess, and so you know that's where he's at. Like he he knows the kid. The kids don't give a shit about him. He doesn't give a shit about the kids because they're beyond his. He doesn't just. He just. He's beyond this family. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know. <laughs> Have that removed. Uh, he's beyond. No, he, I agree. He's just beyond. Yeah, he's beyond like recovery for his family. Beyond like you know. He's got. He's got everything in the world. Yet he can't. Ha- his kids don't respect him. Um, and his wa- and his wife doesn't at all. So it shows that you know, beyond you know having all that money and and. He can, he can literally buy whatever he wants yet he's not happy and that's like as well it's an old trope in film now but like for what it does in the, you know Wes Anderson just as he does with a lot of films he brings an, a, a unique take to it with having the storyline with Max and uh, Miss Cross and and him having to find some some spark in his life which he does by the end of the film finally but um you know it, he's He's what we we all hope we never will be, but you know it's you can see why like a lot of people like it's very easy to fall into that because he's he's so, he's obviously and uh, runs an incredible business because he's got his <laughs> Max is like oh how much money you got at least ten ten million oh, yeah probably like he's obviously doesn't even know yeah he's comfortable enough that he can throw eight million at an aquarium for a school just to try and win uh, win the affections of a woman so he's probably doing all right but like for all that 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 he's done but i think that was good for him yeah and you can see and you can see when he's at at his business he's actually like he's his mind is engaged and it's when he's at home that he's not and it just shows that you know there's more to life than those material things which is um you know max is like seeming and max is all about the material thing at the time he's like he thinks that you know harvard as a safety school is a the kind of thing you should be saying like because he's all about that kind of yeah i mean he's saying that he knows yeah, I mean, I don't care if you go to Rushmore, you can't get, you can't fail, you know, every yeah. class. And you, to, you can't even go to state school, you know, honestly. Mm. And I think it's like also, but that's I mean, what I Ma- Max think is the fun. film is a critique of private schools in general mm-hmm. as well as, as, as they limit and just the schooling system overall, mm. even when it comes to public schools is that it's like, you know, it limits creativity. Yeah. So um, you know, Wes Anderson was lucky enough to go to a school like Rushmore. Um, you know, whether it's public school like Grover Cleveland or whatever you want to, you know, call a public school. But I like it is a critique of, and it's not a big part of the movie, but it is as it it is worth noting that this is a critique of how creative kids are left out yeah because they don't necessarily like get ahead in geometry or um i don't know science like i don't know what to like biology i guess i should have said because Mm. like i struggled with all of them you know (laughs) when i did but uh 
you know, it doesn't mean that you're unsuccessful just because you don't understand all of this stuff. Um, you like, you can obviously be successful in the long run, but when you're that young, it's so like, like it's so important that you understand all. There's so much pressure, but it's like pressure as well. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, the schooling system in Australia almost has you wanting to have your, uh, the the course that you want to do at university picked by the age by the age of sixteen basically because you've got to like the way it works in Australia you've got to have your courses in high like, last couple of years of high school picked before you so you can track it into what you want to do at university because they don't do like general ed kind of stuff as much so it's it's just the pressure is just insane which is probably I just didn't know what I wanted to fucking do at that age I I, I found it when no I went, one does and I no found one should I found it like a year into going to university in America like which had a system that allowed me to come in there and just figure it out so. And it's still just, yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's just, it is it, it, the the pressure on the school system for people that aren't don't exactly fit the um the molds of the prototypical um you know even the average student that floats through with bees and whatever you know any anyone that falls below that or you know just it's just a it's a you know I said before that education is important because it is it's like it's important that you. For Max's situation, he applied him. He was so smart, but he applied himself to all the things that didn't. You know, Guggenheim says it started maybe all the extra all the extracurriculars. So, um, yeah. Whereas, but I think going back to Bloom, he says in his little speech at the start of the movie, like you know, take aim at the rich kids and and all that. And then he and because I think he's like trying to say that this isn't. The he big, wasn't that person. Yeah, and he uh, and he, you know, he wishes he could have gone to one of these schools, but he didn't. But he sends his school kids here. He doesn't know why, and he says, "Take aim at the rich kids," which is basically saying, "Take aim, take aim at my kids." And then he right. latch, and then he latches onto a kid like Max because he sees that he's something special and doesn't fit the mold of those uh, the kids that he's saying to take aim at, or anyone that fits that prototypical mold of a student at a school like that. And I think it's Bloom looking yeah. looking for that spark, and he he finds that in Max. But yeah. Well, and I think it's really important. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the opening speech by Bloom um, is one of the best parts of the entire film. Uh, I, I think it, I, I think it. it lays yeah. out like beyond the thesis of what the whole film is about, but it also is saying like, hey, like it's Wes Anderson saying like, hey, I went to this private school, but this private school is the exact same as everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And it's so stupid. And there's the same politics and there's the same everything that everybody has to deal with at this stupid school. But this school produces diplomats and senators. Like we talk, like that's Mm -hmm. why Max feels that he's going to be that way. But it's also like, it's the school that the Wilsons went to and Wes Anderson went to. But like, that school is just a school. We're all just people at the end of the day. And that's the entire point of this film. I think, um, from Wes Anderson is like, Hey, I went to a school like this, but, uh, let me tell you, anybody can be anything because, because well, Bloom came out of his own experience and became a, you know, still, a still like entrepreneur. Like, you know, he, he, he says he doesn't have the back. He didn't go to that school, but he's made what he's done. And, paid for the fucking auditorium so they can listen to whatever he says. And so there's like, it's kind of like, but, and then he's not happy. So it's about finding, I think it's all, it's about about how school doesn't, school does matter, but it doesn't matter at the same time. And then having money, you know, it's all about, it's about finding that thing in life that is 
That is, you, you can't quantify it either. It's not like you can say that this is the right thing for it. Like someone else can look at you and say this is the right thing for you. It's a, you've actually got to find it. That's the that's the key point of it all. Is that you're the only one that can find it, and you've got to not let the outside influences dictate to you what you should be looking for. You've just got to first of all like look into yourself enough to know what actually truly is what you want to find and then and then and then not let things around you stop you from finding it but also respecting everyone that's around you as well because everyone else is on their own unique journeys like i love that scene where max throws the script down at bucken and he kind of like looks at it for a second and says i've always wanted to be in one of your fucking plays like it's just it's huge yeah it's a huge moment in the film for yeah. like because all these people are so much more than what we think they are on the surface absolutely and that's what it, it's all about like it's just a great film about growing and i just can't get over it because and i'll never get over it because we will we will talk about plenty of wes anderson films on this podcast because I will force it. I'll force the issue. And it's not forced <laughs> on you. But I will just make... Because he's my favorite director. Because that's what... Like... He makes films about what I want life to like be, mm-hmm. I guess. And so... And I think it started But, it does, with but he doesn't... Because Bottle Rocket is yeah. uh, like a caper. Basically, yeah. Or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call Bottle Rocket. But it's not... Mm-hmm up to snuff with everything else he made and he has made films that I want to live in yeah. and I want those to be my reality and I want to live in his reality because those are his reality and I think Rushmore really proves that like this is how it starts and it's crazy to think about it now after seeing everything that he's made since then so I'm trying to like really think about it when I saw it when I was ten years old. But like who gives a shit when I was ten years yeah. old? Like he made a film that in twenty twenty is just as impactful as it should be. To anybody who's looking for meaning in life, especially when they're younger. And that film especially is directed i think for people who are younger and art artistic and just don't feel at home from where they are mm-hmm. and so it's just this thing where yeah you're in this place and it sucks like maybe like you have perfect attendance and you love going to the school that you're going to and like again this isn't how i expect most artists to feel but even if you're going to a public high school and you want to skip class like you want to skip you want to skip like math and English and stuff like that, but you want to go to all the art. Like this is what this film is about. It's about finding who you are, despite what you think you should be, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Well, like breaking free of the mold of what, like it's just society, I guess once you, what you, what you feel like is everyone, everyone is born with a completely open mind really. Cause we're all just born into a world that with no Maybe. concept of, we yeah, we don't know what they're talking to the people in the womb or whatever, but, but then you, then you're molded by the experience, like the people around you and some people around you will mold you the wrong, wrong way and, and put you into certain situations. And then you've got to work your way out of that. And you've either got to embrace, <laughs> embrace the concept of, uh, opening yourself up to new ideas or you, or you, you bottle yourself up and, and Max had somewhat bottled himself up into the world of Rushmore and what was important to that world. 
because he probably when he was a little kid. Yeah, because he was in like, there. He's, he was there for extremely like extremely little. He was there for eleven or twelve years, wasn't he? Like that that pocket knife he gets from. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I mean, if you want I feel to talk like about said, the pocket knife, I think that's a perfect metaphor for this entire movie as well. Is that Dirk gives him a pocket knife, and mm-hmm. it's like, hey, like just because you didn't like do well at Rushmore doesn't mean like just because like you're a knife. At Rushmore doesn't mean you can't be all these other things. Like yeah. I think Anderson did that for a reason, and I think it's one of the most powerful scenes of the movie, mm-hmm. especially because Max is drinking a beer uh, when Dirk gives him that. Or maybe that's a different scene. But we also, like, at some point, you just talk about how Max smokes cigarettes and, like, crushes a beer at some point. Like, very proud of him. <laughs> Cause like when I watched yeah. it when I was younger, I was like, "What a dork!" Like, oh, this guy, like, whatever. You're like, oh, he's smoking cigarettes, but like, he has a beer in one scene. Like, I'm very into it. Oh, he's smashing some. Like, I, I'm assuming that he's meant to be drinking wine at his the post post show of Serpico. Um, he's kind of just. Well, I just assume that champagne. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But like, yeah, and then he's like, he's he's smashing those drinks. But I mean, he he lets him get to him at the dinner, the um, Oade uh, dinner, and um. Let's him get to up. Oh, Siri's talking. This always happens during every pod. It's nice to have a lady talk to me for <laughs> once. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, he's he's. It, these are all like examples of him trying to be older than he is, really. But then you know, at the barbershop, he's actually finally probably acting his age a little bit. Like he's. I mean, he probably. No, he's acting older than he should be. He doesn't yeah, know but what it, he wants. But he's. But by the end but of it, but at that it. point, he's at least accepting his. I like the barbershop scene a lot, and I th- I feel like you, you've got to... You, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, because I think... Let's talk about it. <laughs> I feel like while it's um, it's a filmmaking... I think it's a it's a decision... Like, every film needs to have scenes that kind of show... Uh, uh, tropes you can always break free from, and I think the Wes Anderson does a great job in this one, actually. It's showing Max finally actually just accepting where he, he is... But then his dad also says, "I'm happy for you being here because." And he's he's Max obviously is good at his job. He's actually doing a really good job. He's cleaning. He's sweeping. He's doing all the things that he's never accept. He's doing all the things that he used to think were beneath him. And he's just happily doing. Well, he's not. He doesn't seem too happy because he's very. His voice is very low and morose compared to his hope in other scenes. But he's kind of just accepting where he is, which is where like the thing that he needed to do to then get to the point of re. Like he he had to re re recog the whole you know redo the whole engine to to actually get to where he was with um because then he goes out and like he's flying the kite with dirk out of the um and then he runs into margaret yang and he kind of realizes she's kind of just in the same position i don't think he runs into her on yeah accident but margaret yang makes that happen yeah, yeah, yeah she's she she's like just she's him basically um in many senses but she's she's a catalyst yeah she's what but she is what he needs yeah. in reality. Like, but then he, after that scene where he realizes she's just doing the same thing and trying to get by and whatever, and he, he, he like, as she says, how she faked the, the results, she knew it could work, which is like a key part of the conversation. She's like, I know what I was doing was right, it just I didn't get the right results. So she was like on a on a, her little journey to get somewhere, and I think Max kind of realizes that we're all on this kind of journey as well, and then he 
suddenly gets the hope again of going to school and doing this play and all those things. But then because of all the experiences he's gone through, then he goes to the, at the end of the play, he's happily introduced. He's remembering every name, which he always did, but he uses uses against the guy, you know, what's his name. He's introducing everyone really friendly. He's accepting where he belongs in their life. You know, you know, Herman's my friend. You can dance with him, all those things. I think that barbershop scene, even if it's a little bit troublesome in the sense of like, it doesn't, maybe make sense. I think it's also important to just show that he had this moment of recalibration of like accepting where he was, but then to have that, it's kind of like we were talking about the once upon a time in Hollywood pod about like the things that Rick Dalton had to go through. We won't always throw back to other podcasts, but it isn't a good example. If you listen through our podcast of where we, how we think about character development and whatnot, you know, Rick had to go through these certain experiences to finally accept where he was and then move forward um, and I think this is what like the barbershop scenes, like getting arrested and hitting ro- hitting that rock bottom and having to work in the barbershop with his dad. And then his dad's saying, hey, look, I'm happy for you being here. But his dad knows he's, his dad kind of says, you are more than this. I'm happy here, but I know that you're more than this and I know you can do more than this. So, you know, and then, then Max finally works. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He works that out as well. I Yeah, I mean, I think you're completely right. I just... Um... You know, with Max, it's really hard. <laughs> it's it, 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 it's hard to, um, you know, you laid out a perfect uh, picture of basically what he was dealing with. And, um, you know, we're all looking at it now as adults. I don't know who's listening to this right now. Um, but uh, maybe you're a kid. And if you're a kid, then I hope you are writing plays or whatever. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to really break down the thought of what Max Fisher was doing at that point. Like, he needed Dirk Calloway at that point when flying. Like, I think. I think it's the first true moment of friendship between them two, which is a nice, like, little bit where Dirk kind of apologizes for throwing rocks. I think they always had. They they did, but they there was the first honest moment of friendship. Sorry, that's what I meant. Like they, I think they, you know, Dirk always thought he was his friend until Bucken reveals to him that he's that Max was somewhat utilizing Dirk. But then Max also actually cared about Dirk. It just the start of the friendship might have been false, you know. Uh, I don't think Max actually thought he was going to like hook up. No, no, but. Dirk's mom either like I think he I don't was think like Max thought any any of, the, who, any of the things that Max was saying he was going to do were never going to happen I think Max deep down knew that but it was his facade that he was putting up to try and get through but yeah when uh, like, like to bring it up to speed is when in this scene when Dirk asks him like hey you want to take over and Margaret Yang mm-hmm. comes over with her plane or like after Margaret Yang comes over with her plane is like and max is like yeah i'll take it and just like think about shit for one second like mm-hmm. max just think about shit for one second and then get back to normal and yeah. that's what happened mm-hmm. but like obviously the film doesn't show you that but like in your head you have to connect that is that like all right like max saying all right take note like, mm-hmm. I want to start a kite flying club. And it's like, who gives a fucking shit about kite flying? But that kite flying club led to him writing that play. Yeah. Like, I think that's what nobody understands about the film and, like, people are bored by. Is that, like, the fact, like that opened him up creatively. I can't. All right. 
Creativity. Yep, can't do it. <laughs> Create. Creatively or creativity? Open up creatively. Your... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It opened him up creatively, and he was able to create a play that we've already talked about that was a problem. Like, it has holes in it, but, like, for a high schooler, like, that's an amazing play. I went to so, plenty of high school plays, and they were, like, they weren't great. I didn't. And often... I, I didn't go to any high school plays. And often plays. the one, well, the ones that I went to were, um, then, like, I went to a school that had pretty good production as well. So they weren't terrible, but they were all based on, like, it was, like, West Side Story and stuff like that. Like, it was all based on ones that were written. Like, to have a high sc- original high school play is, like, you know, that's something that doesn't happen. Like, a kid... A, kid at the school doesn't usually write the play <laughs> like usually it it's doesn't, just, yeah, yeah usually it right. just comes from a script of west side story or greece or whatever classic classic musicals are out there and they do that but they don't do play they don't do original plays written by a 16 year old well 15 year old student that yeah maybe at whatever school fucking wes anderson went to and the uh the Wilsons. wilson brothers yeah yeah but uh maybe i, mean, I I mean, I think this entire movie was very realistic to what the Wilsons dealt with and Anderson dealt with yeah. when they were at the school together. Um, I know it wasn't called Rushmore. I should know the name of the I've, school. I've read it a couple yeah. of times as I've been reading through stuff about the movie, and I still can't remember it because you just... You well, know, who gives a yeah. shit? Fuck that school. And, like, <laughs> it's just cool that they made something about, like... We were talking about earlier about, like what it's like to go through this stuff when you're young and you don't really know what's going on, but I can't even imagine it when it's at like this, like these schools that are supposed to be like preparatory for Mm. being a Senator or being a president or being whatever the fuck, you know, all these schools that are around the country. Like, I think that's what Wes Anderson, like Wes Anderson obviously went to those schools, but he was also like, Look at how stupid this shit is. Yeah. Like, look at how like grandiose this is when it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I was just oh, we were talking about earlier, and I wanted to. I think we were talking about off air, and we said that we were going to bring it up. Um, the ending of the movie is quite great. Uh, you know, it, I've mentioned before how it, you know Mac that the play is great and whatever. Like, well questionably great but it it shows some growth in max and how he deals with the play playing how it plays out with him dealing with the little getting smashed in the head with the butt of a what looks like a very real m16 by the way <laughs> all those props in the, the play were uh, well they have like blanks too yeah. like, like the times i was watching it recently i watched like, it, even the like, serpico bit when they're shooting out the window i'm like those are those are some very real gun pops they're like yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it was very real like in like I don't know. Which is an early, early. I never uh, will. Sorry if like you have listened this far into this podcast and expect me to know about guns, but I doubt it. But like, <laughs> like him, like rolling off like the helicopter and shooting. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, wow, that's really like crazy realistic for <laughs> a high school play. The lighting and, and I'm everything. Fine with that. Yeah. Like, I bet that I bet that exists. I just don't know. Maybe not, maybe not the dynamite, but yeah, I love I love like the coach at the end, like um the third Wilson brother being like, I can't believe they let him put a campfire on stage, and it's like 
You're talking about the campfire right now? <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, there was a great play before you. Like, yeah. But, like, oh, man, that's like the genius of Wes Anderson right there. Is just yeah, like, it's, it, the, they, all these little bits are early odes to what he would get. Like, he, these, these are all his early, and, you know, budgetary, you know, who knows what... No, they're who not. Who knows what yeah, Rushmore yeah. would have been if he'd had the budget that he had on all those other films. I think it was obviously still a grounded film. Well, I'm so happy that it is what Yeah, I'm is. exactly... I'm. It's, it's It is what it was meant to be, but, like, it is an early ode because there's no high school plays that actually have blanks and real guns, but he's got, like, these realistic, like guns and, and blanks yeah like, well max fisher found a way to do it yeah dude. he found a way to get that fucking dynamite and and the, like, and the line about cash yeah and and billing it to some company in like was it texas or something like he just says make it out to some fucking apparently that's like a uh a reference to some movie that nick cage is in right okay I, so i'm gonna ask you to look that up but uh it's not what i look for in uh movies but i will look for it in you for future reference, <laughs> tell me what that's about. But it's, like, pro- it's probably a movie. Like, it's probably a movie I've seen. Then, if it's Nick Cage. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like when Nick Cage buys dynamite at some point, and it's just like he's like bill it to. Uh, yeah, um, but the end of the movie is really important. That it's just like you know, particularly after the play, it shows him. He's introducing everyone. He's being he's being really adult, but he's been doing it in the right way. Finally, I think is what I finally yeah yeah because he's he's introducing everyone friend like saying you know this is this is Mister and Mrs Yang this is Margaret Yang. Um, he accepts that she's his girlfriend. <laughs> he's he's a little bit sheep. kind of yeah. I kind he's, of still hate she- that scene too. Well, I think can it, I, I can think I, yeah. Okay. Can I offer yep. a redo for a scene for Wes Anderson? Yep. Okay. I'm down. Can I offer? <laughs> is her being like thank you mr bloom i'm spoken for and like yeah i can see a high school girl doing that mm-hmm. but it's like good it's so off-putting it's like the most off-putting line of the entire movie like, yeah actually I, yeah I, like, I, I, I remember me. thing i remember listening to a thing and like i didn't think much of it at the time but yeah it it is a little bit out of the but, but it um it does it does fit in with the fact that Margaret Yang is somewhat like a like an opposite to, or she's like very similar. yeah, you're right, you're the, right. You're the right. adult dialogue of Max is could be off putting at times as well, and she has similar traits to Max in how she acts. Like, you know, she's the one that comes up to him after he makes his speech. Great and, point, yeah. dude. Honest. So, like, point. I think, like, I think, like, I think the delivery of it is what's more off putting than the actual line, if that makes sense. Because I think she. I'm just super yeah. off put. I like. I'm off put by it, which yeah. isn't a, it which is isn't it, it, it how a, you would say anything in the entire world. You would I, never say I was off put by anything, but like I hate that line for some reason. Like that's like a line from that movie that really bothers me, but the way you said it like made me think about it a different way. But I'm still like I I still feel like that's like super off putting from Wes An- like I feel like Wes Anderson really fucked up the ending of this movie, but uh it's also like, and I already praised how well he ended the movie earlier. So, mm. you know, give or take, you know. <laughs> it's, it's I think like, it's proof that there's a lot of different ways that you can go at the movie, and um, and your feelings of it can change at different times depending on any feeling about the characters and and whatnot. Um, the big part of the end of the movie is actually something that happens through the play as well as we see Herman standing outside just having a cigarette to himself, kind of. Actually, looking happy enough at the time is interesting. Content, content, yeah. 
He's not like yeah. He's he's come to a like he's had his haircut earlier in the film. Um, he looks content after he gets his haircut too, which is kind yeah. of like a real whatever. Like I don't want to tear this film down because it's one of my favorite films of all time. So yeah. Um, but um, and then Miss Cross comes out and joins him, offers him a coffee. And they kind of link arms, and I just wondering how, like we we talked about it off air a little bit before we started, but how you feel about what? It's an ambiguous ending, which is like what we love about film, because it like great films leave us something to hang on to and and think about, and depending on you know everyone, there's a lot of different takes you could have to how these characters go forward in their lives afterwards, and none of them would be wrong exactly because it is something that you can you can depending on where you th- where you, where your own mind is at which is what this movie is asking you to think about a lot too um where these characters might go but do you think bloom and and cross have a future i mean i don't know so i think they're two they're, they're two lost souls in different ways and i think they some i at the end of the movie was like they kind of make sense you know if you get like you know some people might you know some people that are bothered by age issues might have an issue with it but that aside they seem i do also just feel like it's a damned if you do damned if you don't yeah. type of scenario which um i really relate to obviously um with my own main mentality and uh knowing you as a person it's kind of the same but uh <laughs> you know whether they did end up together or not it's just like it was really nice to know that it wasn't like, they were smart enough to know that they weren't enemies by any means. Because yeah. they did, like, I don't know. Like, we're viewing this through a 15-year-old spectrum mm-hmm. and of those two. And, yeah, she's young. He's a little bit older. He's married. But at the same time, it's like... Why does that mean that should stop them from anything? The only thing that's really stopping anybody from this love triangle, which I think is at the center of the movie, mm. is that Max is 15 and obviously Ms. Cross is not interested in him. Yeah, and the only thing that stop like kind of makes the end of the thing start is that Herman is actually trying to be sensitive to Max's feelings about it all, even though he knows that Max... I love that, but he yeah. also alienates his feelings, and that fucks up, and that leads, like, ah, oh, man, it's a great flick. It's a great yeah. flick. All right. We've, I mean, I think we've talked about, like, I mean, if we really want to break it down, I think you just did in, in, in... It's a love triangle turned in a way that we've never thought of it before between an old guy and a young guy well i mean i don't know i don't know because i mean love triangles in you know a traditional romantic comedy or whatnot are all are like you know two girls and a guy or two guys and a girl that are all equal in life and stature like they all do make sense absolutely they all do make sense to, to each other but none of these characters actually bloom and miss cross don't make sense to each other but then at the end of the movie you're you're considering considering the option that they might and then obviously Max is fifteen and she's thirty or something like that. I think um, I'm not exactly. They don't actually mention her age, possibly, but I think I just probably thirty. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think I, I remember. I did look up the actress just to see how old she was, just to give myself a frame of reference. Because I think we do research here. Because <laughs> I think Bill Murray was. I think Bill Murray was forty eight, forty nine around that time. Um, 
And then and then Jason Schwartzman in reality was like, I think he was seventeen when he auditioned, but he plays a fifteen year old, and I think she was about thirty. So like the the age range. Schwartzman was seventeen in that movie. I thought he when was he, like when, at least whatever. When, whatever. when he when he auditioned, he was seventeen. Yeah. Um. I guess that's an interesting um part to bring up is like some of the some of the stories about how this movie came about were um. I mentioned earlier yeah, about wild. yeah, like apparently Wes Anderson was looking for the right Max for a good year or so, um, and Noah Taylor, who is the Aussie in Life Aquatic, um, I can't try, I can't remember if he's um, is he, he an Aussie? Yeah, that guy's an Aussie. Yeah, Noah Taylor's Australian. Yeah, um, he was because he's in um, Almost Famous as well. He might be. I, like I said before the pod, uh, I haven't watched Almost Famous in a long time, but Noah Taylor is an Australian actor. Yeah. Um, he's in game. He's in, the Game of Thrones fans will remember him well as in the the first couple of seasons. He plays quite an uh, evil character. It's list list him on Wikipedia as British. Australian. Oh yeah, I hate that. Guy. Yeah, British Australian, possibly. But um, yeah, they were saying he should have been. Yeah, yeah, they were saying uh, yeah, they were saying the they were basically thing. saying that um he was he was the choice for Max until Jason Schwartzman walked in that day and then. Wes Anderson, thankfully, like apparently Jason Schwartzman came, like made his own Rushmore blazer for the audition, which is great. Like real, just the you know that's the kind of thing that I I'm sure just as soon as you walk into an audition, a guy's gone to that effort and then obviously put on the performance that Schwartzman did in the audition, which I'm sure was very much showed the max that he was going to play. It's like yeah, it's it's just one of those sliding doors moments you think about. Like if Jason Schwartzman hadn't walked into that audition, what kind of movie we would have had because. The movie was going ahead, but they didn't. I'm yeah. Well, apparently they um, auditioned three thousand, at least three thousand people mm-hmm. for him, and they said Noah Taylor was the ideal. But he's fifty years old right now. Yeah, and Schwartzman's still only like what? I don't know. He's probably in his forties, but I don't give a shit. Yeah, I don't know what Noah Taylor looked like back then, but he was super old, probably. <laughs> J- yeah, Jason Schwartzman's only 39 now, so he was the the perfect age. Like Noah Taylor was a full like would have been like a late 30s actor playing that role essentially. Yeah, no, I, I like I and, read that like on and not not like no, this is no dissing to Noah Taylor. I'm sure he would have been great, but Schwartzman, no, gonna, Schwartzman like, no. had Schwartzman had like there's a youthful quality to a face that was actually. You can always tell when someone who's playing a teenager in a movie or a TV show is actually older than they're meant to play. Schwartzman legitimately looked like a 15-year-old kid. Which is right, like and let's talk about like the braces. Like, yeah. Wes Anderson used the braces extremely hard. I love that he didn't have the braces in his... Because they are so perfect to show exactly how a 15-year-old would be in the entire world and like... I don't like he's trying to talk about Latin. He's trying to talk about the world. He's trying to talk about, you know, maybe getting it. He's not actually trying to talk about getting hand jobs, but like, you know, he he's trying to get a hand job. But like, that's but the does, thing. He, does like, he even I, know exactly what a hand job is? Like, apart from like, that's the well, thing. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's the innocence to his, did, That's the innocence. But like, yeah, but the same thing when Miss Cross says all those things to him in the room, he just looks shocked. Like, oh, oh. No, he literally falls over boxes yeah. and like, but like, that is the key scene of this film. And like, I know we don't have like a key scene topic or whatever. I think they just come up podcast. But I think like, every film has its own unique topics that come up as we talk about them. Is how I. But treat the it. key scene of this film is that in her 
classroom, her taking down all of her stuff and just being like, all right, and then him trying to kiss her and her pushing him over and he literally falls over your boxes of shit. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's the most important scene, like, no, well, it's not, it, like, I don't know. It's just an extremely important scene and the fact that he falls over those boxes and the fact that he can't, like, because if he was a man, she would have, I don't know the word for it. You're looking at, yeah, this is a audio medium. But, like, she would have embraced him. Yeah. Like, if she wanted to be kissed. But, mm-hmm. like, she literally threw him off and he fell over boxes in the most embarrassing way like you would when you're a teenager. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's... I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... I think it's just that he's always trying to, and the fact that Schwartzman was just perfect for it for the start of it, like, oh, oh yeah. amazing, yeah, the role, like his, and uh, he comes from acting background. He's like Talia Shire's like fucking son, I think. So yeah, he's cousins with uh, Nicolas Cage and yeah. uh, nephew to uh, uh, Coppola. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not like he hasn't had it around him, but you've still obviously got to put the, you know. You can have famous acting, but he didn't family. exist before this film. Yeah, this he is literally. Exist. Yeah, and and he's gone on to have a great career in um in, in Wes Anderson's little. You know, I, lo- I love, I love. I direct- mean, he's had a great career beyond Wes yeah. Anderson for sure. For sure, I, like, lo- I love. I, him. I also, lo- he was a great musician. Well, not great. He is. He's an okay musician, but sorry, I got the hiccups. This is uh, Pints and Popcorn. Uh, <laughs> welcome to it. But he's a, he's an okay musician. He was in Phantom Planet like when David and I were children. Not like technically children, but like, you know, the area between like a children and a teen, but like in that area. They, they, call that, they, never... call that, they call that preteen, right? Tween. Tween. I think they it? call it. Yeah. But I would never like put you under that but like <laughs> i was re- i was reading like tom clancy novels as a tween so i was a weird tween but you dickheads who ha- have heard the sir the sir the song california by phantom planet know that uh jason schwartzman played the piano on that so we're talking we're talking oc right Overseas is America. Are we overseas? talking? No, I'm talking OC. Oh yeah, OC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That shit. I definitely watched that show. Like ding, ding, <laughs> ding, a ding, 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 ding. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. California, Nebraska. <laughs> here we come. Yeah, yeah. That song. Yeah. So that used to be a cool song in reality. But uh, he played drums in that band. Yeah. Honestly, Jason Schwartzman did. David's so mad at me right now. I'm <laughs> not mad. I'm like fascinated by this. Like, I didn't. I'm just like, this is what this podcast was meant to be about. Just talking movies and everything about them. And like, this is what I wanted to get to in the later part of the movie was talking about the random facts about the people behind it. Because. Guys, I fucked it, I fucked it up. <laughs> I embarrassed the pod. There, I embarrass the pod. No, this is exactly where this is exactly where it was meant to go. Um, the other the other thing that we haven't talked about much, we've talked about. The, <laughs> Let's talk about it. No, it's it, like I'm just this is a random random fact factoid. Cut part the of last it. section out, please. <laughs> no, I'm leaving it. 
<laughs> wow. Well, um, I'm fine with it. I uh, we've we've got you doing pianos with your mouth and me doing California and then Nebraska. I gotta leave that. We gotta leave that. Um, we've talked about the Wilson. Don't lead with it. No, no, I'm not gonna lead. Maybe now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got the we've talked a fair bit about the Wilsons' involvement, but like you know, Owen Wilson's had an interesting career in life. But the fact that he actually he was co-writer on this film, he's credited as co-writer of the screenplay. Yeah, like, yeah, and he's of, and he's uh, a frequent collaborator with um with Wes Anderson as far as the writing process goes. I think it's a really all of them the Anderson yeah. brothers. It's a or really Anderson, the, the Wilson brothers. Yeah. brothers. It's a really underrated aspect because Owen Wilson's obviously so famous as an actor with all the great roles he's played and incredibly comedic, um, but also incredible in the dramatic roles as well. But like, it's an underrated aspect of his career that you don't hear too many people that talk about film talk about his like. At least I don't like when I'm talking to people about film and you, no one ever talks about Owen Wilson writing. But he's had some great, great impact in the writing of some great you know generational films. Like I was going to get to the point that Rushmore. There's a lot of movies made in the late 90s that wouldn't be able to come out now in the same way. Like we could talk like American Pie is a movie that came out at a very similar time. That would be a different movie now because it's the whole like a bunch of blokes trying to get laid before. Did we do American Pie next week? We'll do it. Yeah. I yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> But um Rushmore is the kind of no, movie. No, I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you know is like that, Rushmore yeah. Rushmore is the kind of movie that could come out now exactly as it is. Obviously, the camera, you know, the cameras would be different, and whatnot. But everything. I, don't know if it could... I, I I just mean that, like, and it sure. might, and it might actually get received the same way, and then in twenty years from now, that again be again because you know it's, it, the Rush was the kind of movie that develops over time, as a lot of Wes Anderson movies do. Actually, we'll get to those ones in future pods. But I think Rushmore is uh, all of them. Rushmore is. Can, is a generation-breaking film that you can watch for the first time now, and 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 depending on when you watch it, you'll either be twenty-year-old me and watch it now and be like, I don't get it, and or you'll be ten years later, and then you'll get it, and like it's going to be a movie that in fifty years, um, as long as we're st- all still here, um, Rona be Rona we be won't damned. be Rona be damned. we won't be yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's give me movie. liberty or yeah. give me death, David. All right, <laughs> uh, what I need to be able to get ice cream. Or fuck it all. <laughs> but <laughs> no, you're yeah. completely right. Like, um I think every single Wes Anderson movie has been ahead of its time, whether it's yeah. five years or ten years, and right now we're talking about Rushmore, which is, you know twenty two years ago now. Uh, yeah, no, it's nuts it's when you think about years. it. I I mean I, I can't say that it's twenty Thank God that I hit I hit the mic that you gave me. <laughs> Out of respect, uh, I love that. I love but, that. <laughs> uh, the snowball's still going. I love that. Yeah, man, you should have seen it um, after the last uh, pod because I cleaned it. Oh no, it's still on there. There's um, from my mustache uh, me yelling at you on this podcast. Um, <laughs> the breath that I was giving, like pushing red wine onto the um yeah it still exists i'll send you a snapchat but it still exists but uh if you want to talk about rushmore yes it's a film that's extremely important and it means like i think everything wes anderson has ever made means something to somebody but i think this film especially means a lot 
to what it meant to be a person before the internet, really. Yeah. Like, I know that sounds, I know it sounds insane, but like, well, I think that's like, actually a great point. Such like a, like a lifeline to people, like to kids who were creative in any. Yeah. Like, I know Jason Schwartzman was in Phantom Planet, and Phantom Planet blew up, like, after that movie. But, like, it wasn't because of that movie. It Like, it just happened to be that, like, he was an actor in that movie, and that was his thing. And, like, it's just, like... Yeah. I think it's I, I think it's one of those movies that you, you brought up, like, the pre-mobile. It's really interesting that it is pre... Mass internet access. The internet certainly existed, but we weren't, you know, even AOL and MS, all those, you know, instant instant messaging that shit service. Didn't exist yeah. For sure. What's interesting yeah. about the movie is it doesn't actually rely. Like, there's nothing in that movie that dates it in that sense too much, apart from when he's using the payphone. Really, um, at the school is the only only kind of scene that the rest of the movie isn't dated. You know, you, absolutely. You often You're talk. Right. You often talk. Right. You often talk about movies being dated in a certain sense, and. And that's not a knock on a movie. It just means that it's very much part of its time. But what I find fascinating about Rushmore, beyond that, and that scene, the scene with the payphone, where he just looks at the guy and is like, that's just rude. <laughs> I love right, that. Right, right. But <laughs> yeah. the rest of the movie is very much, you could. it's very much a contemporary movie. You could see it happening now. Like everything about the movie you could see being made, you could see that movie being made now. And beyond that payphone scene, it all makes sense. And that's what I find wonderfully fascinating about Wes Anderson's filmography as a whole is he taps into such a deeper human experience beyond beyond what is just the human experience at the time and makes films that will be timeless. Like, you know, we're going to get into more of them um, through the history of this pod because, like I've said in our trailer for the pod, there's just so much movies that we can get into. But Wes Anderson in particular, and that's what I think, you know, you you have had a long-held fascination with him and me as as a late bloomer of a, as being actually having a brain. Uh, um you know i'm finding finding it myself is that like and you know and all the great directors and writers out there do uh their talent in staying in staying part of hollywood and part of the movie business and everything is having so much more to say beyond what is you know you can watch rushmore as as on the surface and find it a funny film but if you look into it deeper like we have today um you see so much more to it that makes it so much so much more contemporary to our time even though it was made 22 years ago because we're finding things in it that are so much are so apparent to us now and anyone that would watch it now would see so much of themselves in the characters still which is hard to do a lot harder to do you know the great writers and directors can do it because that's why they're great but it is very hard to do and that's why there's so so few it is so hard to break into that echelon of of talent in in filmmaking because you have to have it. You have to have seriously have a voice and really tap into it and really look into yourself, which is what Wes Anderson is good at. Great at. I yeah, say, I say good at like, like he's okay at it, but he's great at it. No, he's <laughs> obviously. But um, I, I, uh, you know what you said um, right there, and like if anybody's like, I don't know. Like, if it, anyone's still here at this point, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just exactly what you said about it. Um, like, it just means, like, I'm on the verge of tears right now. But I'm, And I have been drinking because it's pints and popcorns. Uh, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but what you just said, like, it, it just meant so much to me. Like, like, it moved me to the verge of tears, honestly, because, like, this film is so much about 
Like, it's so much about such a fucking idiot when you're so young. And it's not saying that he's any, any better when he grows up. But it's just the, about that growth. And it's just about everybody's growth. And, yeah. like, what, like, Wes Anderson literally layers this film with, yeah, it's about Max, and it's about how stupid, like, it's not about how stupid Max is. I shouldn't say that. But, like, it's about Max. It's about Miss Cross. It's about <laughs> Mr. Bloom. Like, it's about all of those people living life together and like growing together like i understand like this doesn't seem like a big thing and if you're through this and you haven't seen the movie or haven't lived life or whatever and you're just doing whatever whatever i don't give a shit but like the fact that those people all came together and, like, found a way to live, I guess, is just so, like, inspiring. And, like, from such, like... And that's what, like, good fiction means to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's the staying power of films. Like, we watch a lot of films that we enjoy um, from a visceral point of view, I guess you could say. Like, like you know, I talked about how films touch you in different ways, you know, whether it be, you know, Die Hard is very much your external senses of... Um, you know, adrenaline and things like that that don't last with you, but you enjoy them for that sense. But no, I like all of it. Yeah, I'm and same here. I, I like I said to you yesterday. I, I bought all five Die Hard movies to watch while I'm in quarantine because I've loved them growing up. But the films that stay with us and that we think about more are the ones that really tap into that that part of us that you know where and it's the part of us that we're always still tackling too. I think is what this movie makes you think about the things that like we know we're all in the we're we're somewhere in the realm of like we're either where Max is or where Herman is or where um even Miss Cross is, all the different parts of our lives and it never changes. It's just all about like actually accepting it rather than and I think, you know, Miss Cross is at a point where she's kind of half accepting where she is, whereas the other two aren't and she kinda of helps them get to that point, you know. But, you know, but they help her get to that point yeah. as well. Everyone's like it's I, kind of a it's kind of a movie about that is accepting external human experience as well, like letting other people touch. Let, let, yeah, basically. yeah, letting other people touch you in a way that is um, on a profound emotional level, and and you know even if it's tough to know what someone else is going through, it is also rewarding in a sense of like having a human experience and having having connection with other people, you know. So, you know, it's it's not like it it doesn't go into those things explicitly in the film, but it is all that theme of of human experience is, is underlying the film. That's what the heart of it is, is is all of those things. So, you know, that's why I find it, you know, it's why it didn't affect me as a 20-year-old because I just wasn't ready to, to go into that part of myself yet. I was still too young and naive to accept that, you know, you're always trying to make yourself happy without accepting that the things that don't make you happy can help you grow if you just look into yourself a little bit. And that's what this film is about is like, you know, you've got to you've got to have some harsh reflection on yourself as a human being to grow as well. And that's what the film. Absolutely. Helps you, that's what the film helps you do. And uh, I think that's it's a real credit to Wes Anderson as a young writer and filmmaker at the time to do that. Because um, I'm what 32 now and I'm, only, <laughs> I'm still getting through that. Whereas that guy was like, you know. It's really it's quite amazing, and and Schwartzman for 
taking that first first and film making, and making yeah. that and having that performance and the nuance and the performance to pull pull that out even though he was going through he's 17 when he auditioned he's going to be going through the same shit um yeah so all those yeah it's it's quite a feat in filmmaking and writing um apparently you know bill murray looked at the script and offered to do it for free he ended up doing it on um screen actors guild scale i think he took the indie minimum to do the film because he was that and he was that touched by the script that bill murray a guy that is apparently you know some people say he's hard to work with um and he probably is at times but he's a he's an artist i think he's probably pretty hard to work with but we'll get into that like if we really want to get into it later in this podcast but like um I, that might like, be a subject for I, another podcast. I would I think, also but, assume yeah. that I'm pretty hard to work with. So, um, and uh, David can contest to that. So, um, yeah, I've had some yeah. drunk arguments with you at the bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. That's not but, what like, that's what I'm, but I'm like, just saying how the power of the, like, Bill Murray aside, the power of the script and had him willing to do it for free. Um, and he ended up taking, I think, like the guilt, the minimum of time was like below ten grand. I think, like, it's like obviously he. Well, was, he paid ten grand for the uh, helicopter shot. Yeah, obviously, um, money wasn't like a a factor to. Well, you know, we we all talk about you know actors having millions of dollars and not having to worry about money. They still like the you know depending on what their lifestyles are, they still have to because they're trying to pay for huge houses. But for a guy like Bill Murray, who was and we've talked about it, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in future pods. This was like a turning point in his career as far as getting to more nuanced, um, uh, dramatic, dramatic, dry comedy roles, um, which he always had in him. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, he's, yeah, ama- the fact, he's an the amazing fa- actor. Yeah, the fact that he, the really... fact that he saw the power of the script and was gonna uh, the power of the script by a young filmmaker writer that only done one film at the time that hadn't hadn't blown up at all like bottle rocket is a classic but it, it never got the grounding that they probably hoped it would um but you know the 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 script still like bill murray was that empowered by this and just that touched by the script that he was willing to do those things like it just shows how powerful this film was to the people that were involved in it yeah i mean honestly i'm a leaky faucet so like i'm on the verge of tears right now just you like laying it out there like that but like it just like it, it does like you know, I'm. I was on the verge of tears earlier when we were talking about <laughs> all this stuff. But I like, just me, it means a lot. Like that, so, like a guy like Bill Murray, who had made so, so many millions, and like, I don't know, he just found like a different home. Yeah, like with Wes Anderson, and like that whole relationship, and just like you know, I love you know me like Wes Anderson is my favorite director and like we've you know gone back and like not gone back and forth on it but like you know obviously you and your bride like have way different opinions than I do and I don't blame you but like you know I I just want to live in that Wes Anderson world and I don't think any of us would deny it go ahead (laughs) Oh, I just mean like uh, was, this film. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, you <laughs> you go. Oh, this film just like provides me with like the person who like the world that I want to live in. Like he provides me with the um the uh I guess high school world that like that type of person who creates what you're really into like lived in, I guess. Like he like that like and we've already talked about it, that he went to the same school with mm. the Wilsons. 
and you know Owen Wilson got kicked out when he was a sophomore, much like Max did. So like this is all very real. <laughs> it's yeah. all very real. Is Max Wilson, which um, I when I said that I meant uh, Owen Wilson. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Owen Wilson actually got kicked out of the uh, school. So. Yeah, I mean, it's from his life, but, like, yeah, we all want, like, what came from it, we all want to live in that. Like, you want to live in this, like, cartoon reality that is reality, though. Like, I'm so into it. Like, I can't get over it. Yeah, which would be a lot more fun than um, (laughs) the reality at the moment. Um, But at the same time, we get to... We get to uh, enjoy the film now still, and um, and it helps us reflect on our own experiences as well, which is what's been really fun for me. Like, talk, like once we decided to do this one this week was like, you know, it's like very a film that you can look back, like you can self-reflect and work out your own experiences along with the film and and the characters and all that. And it's just it, it is a human growth experience to self reflect on your own experiences. And I think that's what Wes Anderson did so well with making this film was like, he had to do all those things and um, that's really powerful. And why, why movies like this state have staying power. And I encourage everyone who enjoys films to look at films in this, this vein as well. Like try to see yourself in the characters and work. And if there's a film that stays with you in a certain way, try to figure out why it does. And it, it can help you like think about your own yourself. Cause like, like we've said in this podcast film, you know, films of every type are art as well, and um, art can affect us in different ways and help us help us understand ourselves too. So it's it's really important and powerful and fun to experience film in that sense. You know, not every every film will be that way, and we're going to talk about plenty of films that we enjoy at different levels and different ways. But you know, Rushmore is certainly a film that helps you think about yourself as a person and 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 in a positive way as well as well as you know the negative aspects of the characters in the film there's plenty of redeeming qualities to them as well and that's what the the film is half about is finding the redeeming qualities about yourself and and accepting those things and working with the challenges that some of those qualities about your your own person has so yeah yeah i mean i couldn't have wrapped it up any better now that you were asking me to at all like you deserve <laughs> so you obviously wrap up like i feel like the entire third act of uh our podcast about rushmore was me fucking this up but uh <laughs> you, you've done, you've done a great no you've done a it's um it's a film that asks us to to reflect on it and you like you yeah i've I love doing this podcast with you and chatting films with you that's why we started this podcast so we've done this plenty of times at the bar like literally over pints Never popcorn at the bar. Usually, never. Usually, just uh, cheese pizzas <laughs> or whatever. I, I, who knows? But Potato skins. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, yeah. yeah, yeah I had yeah, plenty of those. That. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think we're about right. Any, anything else you want to bring up about the film, Shay, or just um, just just your closing I mean, statements of what it means? To I can do a complete other podcast about the film. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> you know that. More than I do. Like, you could bring up more. But, like, yeah. You're yeah. right. We're, we're, we're now, like, a half an hour longer than the film itself, which shows how... Which is is quite amazing for an hour and a half film that is, you know, titled as a comedy, coming-of-age coming, coming comedy, whatever you want to call it, that you can talk that deep on it. But that's just the power of Wes Anderson and one of his earlier films. So, um, 
you know, until next time, next week, we'll uh, dim lights, pour some pints, pop some popcorn, and I'll see you next one at the time, Shay. You thought I got kicked off this podcast because of the aquarium? It was the hand jabs. <laughs> Would you like to dance? No comment. Yeah, but let's see if the DJ can play something with a little more. Ruben?